Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we're looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Oh, Andy, I'm Pete Wright, and it's Quinjet Day! <laughs> it is Quinjet Day, that's right. Today we're talking about Minute 29, which begins with 40 minutes out and ends with Coulson's reassuring words. Is that confusing? 29, 40 minutes out. Anyway, whatever. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, joining us on the show again today, it's Jonathan Carlisle. Hello, Jonathan. Hi. I was here ready to record when you were sleeping, but <laughs> I, I've been here. I was present. <laughs> really was, bringing that awkward Colson energy, aren't we, tonight? <laughs> it's all, it's, it's this whole minute's full of it. Full of it. I absolutely. Uh, before we get into the the Quinjet minute, I did just want to uh, mention we have our two Quinjet pilots. Our first one, I think, is credited as faceless pilot Brent McGee. The second one is not credited Quinjet pilot number two. We'll just call him. No idea who that is. Uh, the faceless pilot, I believe, will return later in the film. IMDb game for our faceless pilot, <laughs> Brent McGee. What? What are you doing? (laughs) We've got to do it, Pete. Okay. We've got to do it. All right. I'll give it to you. I'll bring my A game. You Mm -hmm. you see the back of his head, and he's in an outfit, but he does have a line. (laughs) I will say, Brent McGee has been in 18 films um, and actually has done some stunt work as a precision driver in uh, The Hangover Part 3, Winter Soldier, and Spider-Man Homecoming. And is also a Chris Evans stand-in from time to time, starting with uh, Age of Ultron and then all the way up into the Gray Man. So he's certainly somebody who has been around uh, with Chris uh, throughout. Now, I might be wrong. This might not be Faceless Pilot, but we're just going to do this now anyway. <laughs> because the, you, you can't tell. You can't tell. But this is one of the only pilots that is that actually gets a line. So anyway, Brent McGee only actually has three known fours on IMDb, and I don't know why, but he only has three. And I'll just tell you, it's the Avengers, Captain America Civil War, where he is GSG-9 Task Force pilot, and Captain America the Winter Soldier, where he was additional crew as the um, uh, stand-in. So I would not have gotten go. any of those right. I had, I had movies queued up, but it wasn't those. <laughs> it wasn't those. <laughs> no. Um, anyway. That's that's our Quinjet pilots. So moving <laughs> moving on. Uh, this okay. Let's talk about the Quinjet first, and then we can get into our conversation uh, between Colson and Steve. First thoughts of this Quinjet. Now I will say you don't get a lot of it. It flies by outside, like we get an exterior shot over the ocean as it flies by, and now we're inside. It's hard to tell much about what we're getting out of this as far as a jet by this point. We'll certainly see more later, but it still is worth talking about now because they are kind of cool jets that have been designed specifically for the film. Um, Thoughts on the Quinjet? Who would like to start? Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. (laughs) I mean, maybe maybe the like the pilot seats and, and, you know, the. But uh, where Cap is sitting, it looks uncomfortable because he doesn't even have a full back because it's it's utilitarian. Yeah, right. And in its utilitarianness, it seems uncomfortable. Well, I'm a big fan of the Quinjet. I like I've always liked the design of it. And actually, I, yeah, I didn't really think much about the Quinjet 
until Captain Marvel when we're introduced to the quad jet. Weirdly, it was the predecessor of the Quinjet that got me excited about the Quinjet. Uh, because it, it's actually really, really cool. The changes they made when, cause it was, uh, it was the quad jet that Fury and Captain Marvel Cara Danvers stole to get to the, the ship in space. They converted it. That was a quad jet. And so when we get the Quinjet, those upgrades include the in-wing kind of, uh, uh, jets so they can, so we can do vertical takeoff. Uh, they have the curvy wings so they can fit on the helicarrier in, uh, like uh, fighter jets can on a aircraft carrier. I think, I just think it's really, really cool looking. And, uh, I, I think they did a good job. When I first saw the Quinjet, I thought that is a really dumb kind of snub nose design. Like what is, but it's so grown on me. It is so, and, and it <laughs> probably goes to show my favorite, uh, uh, the, the, my favorite just aircraft is the, the Warthog with the big, the big turbines on the tail, the A10A kind of tank buster, like plane. Growing up, I, I loved that plane and had models of it. And it's just, I don't know why. Like I, it was the ugliest plane in the fleet and I loved it. I have the same sort of vibe with the Quinjet. It's ugly, but utilitarian bus that has cool, engines and some guns and i like it i'm in favor of it i i think when i uh first saw it in this film i kind of i couldn't help but think that it felt a little bit like the dropship from aliens like there's oh, that i like look that ship to it. too yeah oh i love that ship yeah. but i kind of felt like they were they were kind of cribbing from that a little bit, like, oh, let's just make it look like that. We needed, we needed something that kind of has that look. But, uh, and so I guess maybe in this particular film, I don't think I liked it as much, but, uh, but kind of like you, I feel like this is a film or a, a, an aircraft type that has grown on me a little bit. I think there's something kind of cool about the design, and maybe it's because we'll see more of it unfold over the course of later films, but just like the way the wings work, the way it can vertically take off and everything, like there are elements that they've added to this that are kind of neat. It's just, I don't think I quite got it. Am I right in thinking this was an artifact just of the MCU, right? The Quinjet is not a comic thing it was only introduced in the mcu and then became part of the comic through the prelude books i think am i right about that i don't know but planes are always like you know like the x-men have their plane yeah you know, so there's always something but i don't know specifically an iconic aircraft right yeah. I, from what I, i'm just reading about it in the art of the avengers it was something that that the script really kind of had written in as far as this vertical uh, takeoff aircraft that could take off of the helicarrier and all this sort of stuff that it sounded like they had to design this and come up with something that could potentially work in real life and or in quote real life in, in the context of this film. And so I think it is largely something that was created yeah. specifically for this. Um, but, uh, but I think it's cool, you know, and I, I mean, there's something neat about, you know, aircraft that can take off like the osprey was one that i was always a fan of just like watching that at air shows and stuff just the way that the the whole thing kind of shifts up so it can take off and then it can rotate so it flies forward like i love those sorts of things and it's really interesting as we'll talk about later in this film to see how they kind of built that into the design of the wings here it's it's neat i mean i, I think it's a fun 
ship design that I enjoy that we'll get to explore it more. But to your point, Jonathan, in the uh, the art of the Avengers, they talk about the uh, what they were needing to do. And aside from the vertical takeoff and landing capabilities, it needed to uh, be capable of carrying up to nine people at supersonic speeds and potentially have room in case Bruce hulked out, it needed to have a, a little more space interior for a Hulk size space. But that speaks to kind of how big it is and how potentially there's really not that much comfort designed for it. If it's really only enough space to fit nine people to get them in for these quick flights. And so it, to that end reminds me a lot of the big aircraft that we see. Like, I mean, even going back to like Iron Man, but those big military aircraft where, you know, you see like, a person sitting in in it and it looks like they're kind of just in a drop seat you know it like none of it looks like comfort yeah but plus the i guess the the nice thing too because you're making a movie is it's got some nice girth to it so you can get some camera shots of characters actually moving around you know if it was like a you're a typical jet or just a narrow plane, you know, they would turn around in their seats and they'd be facing directly to each other and they, you know, trying to scooch around each other to get up to the front. Here they've got some, you know, we can we can see stuff. We can move the camera back a little bit. Well, they have room to act. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of it's nicely designed. I mean, it's not, you know, Tony and his aircraft with uh, the stripper pole or anything like that, <laughs> but there's still there's still this room. Also cool. <laughs> Also weird, yeah, sure. weird and cool, but yeah, one's... but there's room still to walk around. And so we see that here. And, and I guess uh, in the sense of something designed to get our characters from one place to another, it works, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I was wondering, since he drove Pepper to LaGuardia, is that where they took off from? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, Andy, when we got to this clip we we left from him going to the airport to him in the quinjet like is the airport full of quinjets is that just how it works now <laughs> what if he took the quinjet directly to stark tower and so she just had, had like hop in and then he just you know <laughs> right let right. Her, just dropped her off somewhere i can drop you there right. meant he literally dropped her at, at LaGuardia. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's uh it is funny I do like, though, that Steve's here. The, the, I mean, the camera, you know, it's nicely constructed. You know, we come in on the pilots, and then the camera trucks backward. We reveal that that uh, Agent Coulson is looking at some form of a radar or something. The pilot talks to him. Uh, we're about 40 minutes out from home base. And then the, the cameras continued pulling back, and we reveal that Steve is also there. He is using one of these fancy S.H.I.E.L.D. laptops, much like Tony was in the last scene, and we see that he also is playing catch up. This is an interesting moment for Steve to kind of get a sense of to, of these different beings in his world. And here, of course, he's watching Culver University footage. He's seeing Hulk Hulk out and battle uh, Ross and Blonsky and that whole team there. And we get this little interesting conversation about this whole idea that Banner was actually trying to replicate the serum that they used on him. Uh, which I again, I guess that's kind of an interesting story is that a story change do you feel i mean i know there's that whole thing with the incredible hulk controlled by universal they couldn't necessarily tie all of these things together um until this point um how did that play uh okay for the two of you as far as what banner was actually trying to do 
I, I think so because you know the purely in the MCU they they didn't really have an origin for Hulk, and I think that's comics. I, at this point, I don't know if that was in the comics before the movie or after since the movie or you know I don't know, um, but that's that's been kind of a concept played around with, so they they brought it in. It works for me. I I I didn't really think much about it. It at least makes sense. So that's kind of a good thing for Hulk because I think uh, sometimes the the Hulk origin, you know, it just kind of gets skipped over a little bit or just like, you know, why is he doing this? And oh, he's just doing it, you know. But now if it's like, oh, he's doing it for a purpose, like they're trying to 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 do something, and it just it just uh, got out of control. At least at least makes sense to, to something like that. The other question is, and it's interesting the way that Colson phrases it, because, you know, Steve asks him, he's like, Dr. Banner was trying to replicate the serum that they used on me. And Colson's response is, a lot of people were, which I, I don't know, I guess I thought that was an interesting response to include there. But I mean, maybe it's just scripted to say, you know, because I mean, he follows up, you, you are the world's first superhero. And their, you know, Banner thought gamma radiation might unhold the key to unlocking Erskine's formula. This whole idea of trying to create more superheroes or super soldiers, probably more specifically, is the way they're looking at this. I don't know. I, I guess it's, I find it really interesting that that is an element to this world where a lot of people were actively trying to uh, kind of like crack Erskine's formula. It's not stories we've really heard much more of, though, and I think that's interesting because theoretically there are all these people out there. And in context of what we've already heard with the World Security Council, like, was this another phase? Like, should phase two actually be phase three? And this was like phase one or two of something else that they had been working on trying to develop only to say, well, you know what? It turned this guy into this big green monster. We should put the kibosh on this and move on to uh, making weapons out of this Tesseract. Or we make a whole pile of hulks and just drop them in somewhere. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. Like we carpet bomb hulks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in troubled spaces all over the world. I guess the interesting thing, uh, it, it's a cool idea. And it, it's world building in the way that we don't really revisit that. It would be interesting if there was actually some character moment between Banner and Steve. Like, Steve is the best of us. Yeah. Because, because I tried to do it, and look what I turned into. Not to put Banner down or anything, but... No, no, no. But that's actually a really interesting point because of the way that Erskine was describing his formula, right? Like, it brings out the best, or it brings out what, you know, it amplifies who you are. Steve was, I, I guess, so good that it amplified su such goodness in him. And then, again, with Red Skull, it wasn't quite finished, so who knows exactly. But still, it amplified kind of like some of the evil of him. And then with Bruce, like, there's an interesting element where if, in fact, he did kind of succeed in perhaps replicating the, the serum, later in the film, he does have the, his line, you know, the secret is I'm always angry. And Maybe there's an element to that amplification that we actually are seeing. You know, there is kind of this side of the for formula that might have actually worked there. Yeah. Maybe that's just me wanting to read more into it, though. But I, I just I think it's interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's in the uh, Hulk deleted scene. That's much later. <laughs> Still waiting <laughs> on that one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, let's talk about Colson and Steve. So 
uh, Steve's looking at this thing, and then of course we get this uh, this moment where Phil turns everything incredibly awkward. <laughs> in in the best possible way, though, right? Like it's so good. Though he, I think this is one of Clark Gregg's superpowers in this movie is authentically conveying awkwardness in a way that doesn't make me like side eye the movie. And it, I say that mostly because you, Andy, are an antagonist of Coulson's acting when it comes to earthquakes and military disasters. Uh, uh, and walking downstairs, of course, oh, no, that was in I'll, there. Yeah, I'll, 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 yeah. I'll add on to that in this very minute. <laughs> no! Yes, when he gets up, when the pilot talks to him and tells him, you know, they're 40 minutes out, the way that he gets up and like and, and puts his headphones down and stuff it looks like you can see the the director uh say watching the monitor waiting for him to be in frame and saying and action action colson and you can see him going okay oh i got to do my stuff like i i feel i see it i feel i see it i'm sorry but i feel it's there <laughs> I think you're insane. <laughs> and I think that Colson is a magical unicorn in a suit. I love it. I do. Oh, don't get I me wrong. Think, I think that too. <laughs> <laughs> I do think there is something strange a little bit about the the, enti- the production design of the unit where he's sitting, because the way it's designed, there is a, a hole for the headphone, the headset to sit inside of right and to make room for the microphone which is facing down so colson has to reverse hand his his hands on the headphones to take them off backwards which does add a little bit uh, just a dash a sousant of credibility to your ridiculous complaint <laughs> but it is they there. gave him too it much business <laughs> they gave him a lot of business Okay, now you got to flip them around yeah. to fit into the specific <laughs> headphone holder we've created. That was Jerry's problem. Jerry's not here. He's the <laughs> one who made the console. You just, we just have to make it work, Greg. We just have to make it work. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, back, back, Ma- to, back your, to magical unicorn. Love, yeah, magical unicorn. Yeah, I I think he's great, and this is another, uh, you know. Unfortunately, I'm I, I just uh, I, I think very highly of of the banter, and I think that this is another great sequence that it, it just leans in on awkwardness in all the right ways for me. Like it's awkwardness because he really just is a fan, but he can't get the words out right, and it's every convention, it's every Marvel convention that you go to and, and and talk to a character that you, or to a performer of a character that you really, really love, that's what you get in the plane, and I think it's just really special. It's special that they, that they, that these two guys are able to capture that bit of weirdness uh, in a way that doesn't, that doesn't feel weird. <laughs> that's, that came out weird, but I assure you, I mean every word. I think the, the weirdness is kind of some of the weirdness just comes from Cap because there's four people. I mean, as far as we can tell, we haven't seen behind the camera, but there's four people in this Quinjet and one of them is obviously talking to him and he just, he, he walks around him and kind of ignores him for a little <laughs> bit. And it's, it seems strange for Cap. I mean, I understand he's probably downloading all kinds of information right now, but there's no, no little sly smile like, oh, okay, yeah, I got you. I do like, speaking of sly smiles, he does have a little smile 
on uh, Colson's line around like 37 uh, seconds into this minute that is like a genuine like, oh, like, you know, like, oh, nice to know I have, have a fan out there before it proceeds to get much weirder. <laughs> he has to look down, but yeah, not at like, anything specifically. Right. <laughs> here's here's the thing I love. We had a question about this Stark slash Shield computer device. This device that Cap is holding is the same device that was in Tony's lab. It has the same ridges across the top, and there is no base. No base. Oh. Yeah, so so I guess it's it is only coming from from the top. in this case it's only coming from the top. The other yeah. one potentially is also coming uh, from the bottom. I, I don't Who know. Knows? I lean I, I'm leaning back toward that 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 base was just a uh, just a sleeve to hold yeah, the actual computing device in. Yeah, like a tablet. I like how you know we just saw in the last minute we saw Tony using all this stuff wonderfully, and Cap is just holding it like a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, he is. and his <laughs> fingers are not getting in the way of anything yeah. that Cap that that we yeah. saw Tony do with it. Yeah, Perfect. well, it makes you wonder if he even knows he can touch it. Yeah, <laughs> right. he's just watching the same it. clips over and over yeah. and over again. <laughs> yeah, because his thumb is on the loop button. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I will say, okay, going back to Colson before we uh, talk more about his awkwardness, something that I think Clark Gregg does magically here is walk across the Quinjet. So from uh, after he deals with his business of putting those headphones down, he has to stand up and cross the the Quinjet over to uh, Steve to, to kind of have this conversation. And, you know, the camera is doing its work of moving very kind of gently to give us this sense that we're inside of a moving plane. Like, we have that sense, even though it surely was just something on a stage. But the way that Clark Gregg kind of moves across the interior, it really looks like he is kind of finding his footing as he crosses this space and how he grabs the the handle up at the top. Like all of that actually is exceptional acting. So there you go. Thank you, Andy. And Clark Gregg also thanks you for that nod. Because you're absolutely right. And I until you said that, it never occurred to me that they were probably not on some sort of a gimbal, right? For the, or maybe they were. I don't know. But. Feels I like can't imagine is. they would go to the process for that because you know that in front of them is probably just a blue screen. Yeah, you know? right, right. Well, to the point of Clark Gregg and his awkwardness, like I, I just think it's funny. Oh, and just like the comedy, like there's that bit about Stephen Hawking, which is very funny, and how there's He's the, a you know smart guy. It's, it's a reference <laughs> that Steve doesn't get. Here's where references he starts not getting references. Right, We're, mm-hmm. we've got to have him not getting references for a while before he gets the reference. And this is one of those moments where he doesn't get this reference of Stephen Hawking. The thing that makes that work so well is Coulson replying when he realizes Steve doesn't get it. Just like he's like a smart person. Smart person. (laughs) Like Like you couldn't say genius or, you know, something. Yeah. Right. Or 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 shift it to like oh or you know Albert Einstein or something like that that yeah. that yeah. Steve would have known something like that he's Steve just, might have gotten he, he's just digging in deeper with the Stephen Hawking bit. Uh, the whole thing is just so funny. Uh, the whole thing, the, and again, it just he keeps getting deeper and deeper. I watched you while you were sleeping. I mean, I was present while you were unconscious. Uh, you know, it's just an honor. And then, of course, we'll uh, we'll talk about it in the next minute, I'm sure. But making modifications to his uniform as well. Like, this is a person who is just, he really is a genuine fanboy or for Steve. And it's interesting because, I mean, Steve had fans 
in the 40s. But this is probably the first time he's had anybody, I, I mean, surely it's the first time anybody who has actually approached that level of fandom in this present time. Mm-hmm. Maybe Steve just got confused because he thought he was talking about the Sandra Bullock movie. And he's like, oh, I think I just watched that. <laughs> he's catching up. Yeah. He's got a whole stack of Sandra Bullock movies. <laughs> yeah, that's all he watches. Should, should he have said that? Oh, I just watched that too. That Bill Pullman guy. Yeah. He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Steve is all about the Bill Pullman. For you know, sure. we need more Sandra Bullock references yeah. <laughs> in this show. Right. Uh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if I have anything else for this minute. It's just, it's so fun uh, seeing the two of them kind of in this awkward moment here. Steve, like Chris Evans plays the, the reactions perfectly to Clark Gregg's um, awkward lines. It's just a very fun moment. And I guess, you know, speaking to what we were talking about in the last couple of minutes, the great banter between Tony and Pepper, which is romantic. It's fun. It's, it's, uh, there's this, there's this joy to it. This is another, I think, good example of that banter in a totally different style, you know, uh, the awkward style. And I, I really like that. Yeah, I think they they did a good job because this is still pretty early on with the MCU and they use the humor. They play the characters against each other in a way that, uh, you know, because this was still we, we'd had comic book movies before this, but this was like Marvel trying to do something different. And there's still like that thing of like dealing with the silliness of comics and also like throwing Captain America in this team. I think Phil Coulson's fandom of him was to kind of like, I don't know, prove that, that Captain America should be on the team. Like he is a cool guy. Cause I, I just remember a lot of people being like, well, what are his powers? Like, what does he do? He's, he just, he's strategizes like, you know, you have a Hulk, you have Iron Man, you have Thor, and then you have right. You have other strategy, you have, people, you have yeah. strategy guy. I mean, because you already have a strategy guy. You have Nick Fury, so yeah, wise cap on this team. You know, so having other characters, uh, I guess there's the cliche sort of validate of, right. Yeah. It's the kind of the cliche of having other characters saying this is the awesome guy, but he's doing it in a humorous roundabout way that's not so in your face. Yeah, it's an interesting shift from films like X-Men where you have all these people, but they each have to have a totally different power to make it, uh, to have any reason for them to be included, right? And and I, I suppose that's the point is like, okay, yeah, he's also just strong, but there's more to him than just a power. And that's, I think, perhaps why this film, the way that they built this film uh, kind of stands above what they were doing with the X-Men films because the X-Men films really are about a few uh, characters and then a whole bunch of filler characters that just do things. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I'm sure they'd be thrilled to hear you characterize them that way. <laughs> I, Those characters. I, like, I, I like what they do. I'm just saying, as far as the actors go, I would imagine that they would have preferred, and I mean, Halle Berry has said this a number of times, like she yes. was kind of done playing Storm because she's like, I want to do something actually interesting as a character, not just show up and make it rain. My two cents on that is just like, I, as much as I love Hugh Jackman as, as Wolverine, like they just like, oh, it's the Wolverine show now. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of lost steam on the rest of the characters. Very true. 
Well, I don't know if we have anything else about this particular minute. Um, it has been fun chatting with you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining us for these last few episodes. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hop, skip, and a jump here in a couple minutes. but Yeah, and, and we'll get to chat with you down the road again uh, one last time. We're looking forward to that. Uh, so um, tell everybody again one last time about your shows and where they can track them down. All right. Go to theprincessbrideminute.com for that one. Go to uhs62nd.com for that one. You get some Weird L, you get some uh, Carrie Elwes, and, uh, you know, all the other people. It's a good time. Or you can just watch the movies and not listen to me at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, everybody, you should check out their links. Uh, They'll be in our show notes. And uh, remember, if you're not seeing the show notes on your podcatcher, just go to our website. They are there, marvelmovieminute.com. And uh, you can learn more about our membership and all that good stuff as well. So that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 30. Matthew Costello is returning for that. So, Pete, thanks as always. We're going to explore what might happen if Sandra Bullock were to meet the other. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>